All right, good morning, Great Oaks. Let's worship this morning.
this day we thank you for allowing us to come here and worship you together we thank you for the power that comes with your name we thank you that all things are possible in your name 
pray that you would open our minds, open our ears, open our hearts to hear what you bring through Jason. Pray all of this in your holy name, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Did everybody get their bacon, sausage, everything you needed this morning? All right, how many bacon fans we got in the audience? Sausage? Ham? Yeah, there's that. There's this, the ham crowd gets a little small, I know. I don't know what the... We, lo- we love Canadians, we just don't know what they're doing with their bacon, right? That's what it really comes down to. Well, if you were... Thank you very much. If you were not around this week, you missed it. We had an incredible cross-training this week where this stage and this space was transformed. We had over 150 kids here. Uh, There was a waterfall where the screen is this week. So I just want to take a minute and say thank you to Kevin and Lexi. They ran this for their first time, and it was amazing. And uh, Lexi's not even here. She's over there working with our kids, and Kevin is in a van full of stinky teenagers going to camp. So, well, he took the easy side. They... They smell worse when they come back. So that's also where our front row is, if you're wondering where that, they're at today. And then we would have never done it without our volunteers. Those of you who stepped up, who walked alongside of kids, who said, hey, you know what? We're going to love these kids well. And so thank you guys for being there as well. Give yourselves a round of applause. So if this is your first time with us, or it's been a little while since you've been with us, you might not know, but we're in week four of a series we're calling 90,000. And that's a series we're looking at. How many, 90,000 is the number of hours the average person spends at work in a lifetime. And if we're going to spend 90 hours doing something as followers of Jesus, we need to stop and say, how is the gospel impacting the time I'm spending at work? How's it impacting the way I view my work? How's it impacting where work ranks in my life? We talked about that in week two. Has work taken the place of God and become an idol in our lives? And if you were here last week, Chase did a great job helping us and reminding us that our attitude at work actually might have more impact in people's willingness to hear the gospel than we want to admit. But if we're going to talk about work, we've got one glaring piece we've got to kind of talk about. I I think maybe it's the elephant in the room because we all have them. How do we deal with difficult coworkers at work? Right? We've all got the people. I don't, it doesn't matter what you do. You've got a difficult coworker. You've got somebody who just gets under your skin a little bit. When I was at Chick-fil-A, the owner told me once, he pulled me off the side and he goes, I want you to know something. Even the best employee will be bothersome sometimes. And it's so true, right? And the statement about that is it forces us to go, even I, even you, no matter how great of employees or coworkers we think we are, we're under somebody's skin sometimes, right? You know all those difficult coworkers, they're the person who always has to one-up your story. You share your story, they've always got something better, they've always got something bigger, they always did it different. Maybe they're the person in the lunchroom when everybody gathers for lunch and they chew just a little too loud. 
or with their mouth open. I don't know if any of the rest of you deal with this. My wife struggles with this at home. We have to play music while we eat now because the sound of chewing is just too much. <laughs> For you stay-at-home moms and dads, maybe your difficult coworker is that four or five-year-old who says, hey, I want this for lunch, and you make exactly what they wanted, and then they look at you and go, I don't like it, right? We've all got difficult coworkers. Maybe it's the person at the place where you volunteer in your retirements, and they just overshare every week. And you're like, too many details, don't need to know. There's all kinds of funny difficult coworkers. But how do we handle the difficult coworker who votes differently than we do? How do we handle the difficult coworker who that one time humiliated us in front of everybody else? And we say, you know what? I'm done. How do we handle the difficult coworker who lives their lives by a different set of moral values than we do? If you turn to social media, it's real simple. They give you all kinds of great advice to figure out how to do this. You can find a thousand gifts or memes that look something like this one. Life is too short to spend time with people who suck the happiness out of you. Life is too short to spend time with people who suck the happiness out of you. We can post that on our social media. We can see our friends post that and we can be like, good for you. Stand strong. We don't need anybody. I think the gospel calls us to something much, much deeper than that. And that's great until you're the coworker who's sucking the happiness out of people and you end up all alone. I, I don't know if you figured this out by the, the things I've shared on stage or in our personal interactions off the of stage, but I can sometimes be the difficult coworker. I am very aware of this. I work on it. I don't just accept it, but I know that I am sometimes a difficult coworker. And when I was in Indiana, my uh, senior pastor at the time was six foot three, 235, looked like he could start on a defensive line for any NFL team right now. He had muscles in places I didn't even have places. And we were in the middle of making this change for youth ministry. And we'd met with parents, we'd met with students, and he and I were kind of on opposite sides, but he's like, I want to see how you process this. And so we'd had these meetings, we called, I called my student leadership team together and we're sitting down to talk about it and I invited him to the meeting and he sat in the back of the room and we're talking and uh, halfway through the meeting, it was pretty obvious that he was not thrilled with the discussion. And so I looked at him and I said, hey, I would love to hear what you're thinking. And he's like, it's okay, go on with your meeting. Well, I can be stubborn. This is my difficult coworker that's coming out. I can be pretty stubborn. And I said, I would love to go on with my meeting, but you're in the room and I would love to know your thoughts. And he's like, just go on with your meeting. And I was like, well, now it's a challenge. And I'm just dumb enough to take it. And so I stood in the front of the room and I said, we will continue the meeting when you share what you're thinking. And we stared at each other for 45 seconds of silence. And I called Corey on the way home after the meeting and she goes, how was your meeting? I was like, it was pretty good. I'm pretty sure I'm getting fired tomorrow. <laughs> you just need to know. I, it's been a great run here. It was a nice year and a half. I don't know what we're going to do or where we're going to go, but I'm pretty sure I'm getting fired tomorrow. So I walked in. It was Monday night. Tuesday morning, we had staff meeting. Staff meeting was very short that day. We had got through the basics we needed to get through in about 10 minutes. He dismissed the secretary, and I got up 
to stand up. He goes, no, sit down. We're going to have a conversation. I was like, I knew it. This is where it happens. This is where I get fired. And he sat down and we began to talk. And we ended up spending three and a half hours together that changed the next year and a half. You see, because the gospel doesn't call us to happiness. The truth of living with a difficult coworker is that the gospel calls us to more than happiness. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Revelation, or Revelation, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, you got your phone, you can open that up. In a paper Bible, it's going to be about two-thirds of the way through. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, you get to 1 Corinthians, you went too far, go backwards. If you're on your phone, if you want to take notes, you can click events at the bottom of you version, and there's a place in there for you to take notes as you follow along in the sermon today. Just search Germantown or Great Oaks Community Church, and we'll be there. So Romans is written by the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul wrote over half of the New Testament. Romans is one of the most studied, most beloved, most investigated books that he wrote. And he wrote it in two sections. So really, if you take a look at Romans, it's broken down. Romans 1 through 11 explains to us everything that Jesus did for us, the way God brought salvation in, explains who we are as people. And then at the beginning of chapter 12, there's a word, and it's Therefore, and if you remember a couple weeks ago, I told you, what do we do when we come to the word therefore? We ask, what's it there for? Very good. There's a few of you. Uh, Bible 401, you guys are ready to take it. All right. So what's it there for? And we're looking back. So in response to what Paul has taught us in Romans 1 through 11, he says in 12 through 16, this is how you should live. In response to what God has done for us in Romans 1 through 11, Paul says, as followers of Christ, this is how we're supposed to live. And so that's where we're going to pick up today in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. And it says this, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Did anybody else hear anything about cutting people off in there? About keeping them at arm's length? About just ignoring them? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't hear it either. I mean, maybe some days we want to hear it, but that's not what scripture says. The truth is the gospel calls us to so much more than just happiness. The first thing the gospel calls us to is to love. The gospel calls us to love our difficult coworkers. Paul says, don't just pretend to love them, really love them. He calls us to genuine love. If you read the Greek, the literal translation of the Greek is, don't be hypocritical in your love. Anybody ever been hypocritical in your love at work? You know, when you walk into that meeting, and you're the difficult coworkers there. You guys all have them in your mind, right? Don't look around the room, by the way, because some of y'all work together and that wouldn't be good. 
right? But you walk in and that person's there and you think, or you show up to volunteer and you're like, oh, there they are. Or you roll over and your two-year-old's looking at you. You're like, yeah, there's my difficult coworker. It's 6 a.m. Right? So we've got that person and we look at everyone and we go, oh, yeah, I love it. I love it. It's great. You're so great. And then we leave that meeting or we leave that situation and we go, that person drives me nuts. And we tell everybody in the office that. That's hypocritical love. Paul says, genuinely love people. Genuinely care for them. Genuinely reach out and love them. I think this is honestly one of the hardest commands in all of scripture, but it seems like every page we turn, we're told to love people. Can we be honest, church? Each and every one of us is hard to love some days. And so when it's hard to love our coworkers, we have to be like, oh yeah, I'm hard to love too. I, I just, we forget that because it's us. And we can't, I, I mean, I can't be hard to love. No, we are. But we can't get away from it. Some of you are thinking, Jason, you have no clue what my coworker is like. If you did, you would never ask me to love them. You don't know how many times they've stabbed me in the back. How many times they've attacked me personally. How many times they've prevented me from getting the pay raise or the promotion that I deserved. I can't love them. Well, I wish I could tell you that somewhere in the Bible there's a caveat. But you can be like, oh, you're right. That person, you don't have to love that person. But as we read, the gospel calls us to love. 1 John 4.11 says, Dear friends, if God loved us this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. Church, we don't love because we want to. We don't love because we have to. We love because God has loved us and that love has so filled us up Scripture says that his love overflows. That love has to flow out of us into those around us. We love because we've been loved. And when we love those around us, the amazing thing is, maybe your coworker who doesn't believe that God could possibly love them, when you love them like God loved you, when you love them when they don't deserve it, they see God's love in you. And their hearts begin to be softened. This isn't something we can do on our own. I don't love well on my own. You don't love well on your own. We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's why it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit as followers of Christ working in us that allows us to love. I mean, think about what love is. Listen to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. It is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. This one gets me. It does not demand its own way. Anybody demand your own way at work this week? It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. I think if we're honest, we look in the mirror, we go, I can't do that on my own. We don't make it. But through the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, we're able to love that way. Now I do need to pause for just a second here and say, there is something love hates. 
And I don't want you to miss this because we can twist this command to love and we can hurt people in the midst of it. But Paul says in Romans, love hates evil. And in 1 Corinthians, it does not rejoice in injustice. If you've been abused by a coworker, you're not called to go back and love that coworker. Unfortunately, in our day and time, the workplace has way too often become a place of physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. Into an environment like that, the gospel does not call us to go back and to content to allow the abuser to continue to hurt us. Any sound reading of the gospel will see Jesus stand up and protect those who are being abused by those who were in power. And his words for those in power were not kind and were the most direct of any that he gave. So if that's the case you find yourself in, the most loving thing, if we know it's happening in our workplaces, whether it's happening to us or somebody else, the most loving thing we can do is stand up for those who've been hurt, demand justice, and accountability, and pray that that will lead to the healing first of the abused and then to the abuser. Love hates evil. The truth is, most of us aren't dealing with that kind of difficult coworker, though, right? So don't be like, oh, well, that, I just get to shove it aside. I can, I can hate my coworker again. Nope. Most of us aren't dealing with that, that stuff. We're dealing with people with annoying habits and interpersonal relationships that are painful. The gospel calls us to genuinely love those people, to genuinely love our difficult coworkers. And maybe the first step we need to take is to understand that as the gospel calls us to love them, the gospel also calls us to pray for them. And here's the truth about what happens when we pray. Our lives get changed. Our lives change first. Paul says in Romans 12, 12 and 14, rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Jesus' words in Luke chapter 6, verse 28, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Maybe the first step you need to take as you deal with a difficult coworker, before you go say anything to them, is to stop and pray for them. Stop and pray. Because prayer can do things. I think too often, prayer becomes the like pat answer we, uh, we say as Christians. Someone comes to us with a problem, they come to us and they're like, I'm having a hard time with my coworker, and we're like, did you pray about it? It's like the tech department, right? You call them and you're like, my computer's not working, and they're like, did you restart it? Four times I restarted it. Now give me an answer, right? Like, and Christians, we sometimes come to people and we go, did you pray about it? And we look at it as this pat thing. But the truth is, if we'll really pray, it will change our situations because it changes our hearts first. I know for myself, when I'm frustrated, when I'm having a hard time dealing with people and I pray, God begins to calm my heart. They don't even know. I mean, how many of your difficult coworkers know that you're difficult? I doubt very many of us tell them that, right? We don't walk up to you and be like, you, that right there, you are my difficult coworker. 
But as we begin to pray for them, God begins to change our hearts. He begins to do a work in the way we see them. He begins to help us understand. The Holy Spirit begins to work in us. And God gives us patience and courage and strength to draw closer to them. To hear their story. You see, prayer reminds us of how much we're loved. And how little we deserve that love. Because the truth is, church, most of us before coming to Jesus probably did a lot of unloving things or weren't that lovable. And God welcomed us in. And it's because of that love that we're called to go love. And lastly, prayer can change the heart of our coworker. But if the only reason we're praying is that God changes their heart, I think we've missed a huge part of why the gospel calls us to pray. There's nothing trivial about prayer at all. If we invest our heart and our soul into praying for those folks, into praying for the people we work with, I believe God will change us first and change our experience at work second. But not only does the gospel ask us to love people, to pray for them, but it commands us to draw close to them. Let me go back to my story with my senior pastor. There is no doubt in my mind that what I did on that Monday night broke trust. And he easily could have said, hey, you know what, I'm just going to hold you at arm's length. We could have kept doors shut and walls up and made it through the next however long God called us to work together and never actually dealt with it. He had every right to fire me. It was about as insubordinate as you could be as a coworker. But instead of all that, because of the power of the gospel in his life, he said, hey, let's sit here and talk. And we spent three and a half hours on a Tuesday morning wrestling through why this change was so important to me why he couldn't understand why it was so important and why, what he was scared of in the midst of that situation. And I will tell you this, for the next 18 months, it completely revolutionized our relationship. So much so that when I left about 18 months later, I wasn't looking to leave. There was no resume on the internet. There was no thing. I was loving life working next to him. And somebody called me. And I kept saying no. And I kept fighting and saying, I'm not going, I'm not going. And God kept saying, you are going. But what I learned from those three and a half hours on a Tuesday morning has left an imprint on my heart. So that eight years later, as I get to sit in that chair now, I have a clear understanding of what it meant and what it means to lead. And how the power of drawing close to someone can change their life. And I haven't done it perfectly. Ask anybody on staff. I'm not perfect at it. Please don't understand that. But what happens when we choose to draw in instead of shove away? Paul says in Romans 12, 13, When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. The truth is, we don't know everybody's story. 
And maybe if we took time to get to know that difficult volunteer we work alongside of in our retirement or that difficult coworker in the cubicle or that teammate who keeps doing the wrong thing and causing us to have to do drill after drill after drill at sports or our six-year-old who just can't figure out what they're supposed to be doing, maybe if we draw a little bit closer, if we'd hear their story, if we'd hear what's going on in their heart and mind, if we'd carve out time, maybe if we'd talk to that coworker, we'd figure out that their marriage is falling apart at home and they don't have anybody to talk to about it and there's no release and there's no relief and the frustration and the difficulty they're causing us at work is really just a symptom of a much, much bigger problem. You see, church, the gospel calls us to draw close. It calls us to not just write people off. It calls us to draw in. To provide a place where we get to know each other. We get to hear stories. And we get to believe that God is at work in our lives. However, drawing close to someone requires us to be humble. Because if I'm prideful, I just assume they're wrong and I'm right. And I forget all about it. But if we're going to live out the gospel at work, not only do we have to love each other, not only do we have to pray for each other, not only do we have to draw close to our coworkers, we have to be reminded of what it means to be humble. Paul says in Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Maybe the truth is our coworker is not the problem. Maybe our own pride has gotten in the way. Maybe we actually believe deep down we can do it without them. I think very few of us work in jobs where we can do things without our coworker or that we'd have as much fun doing our job without our coworker. The truth is we need them and they need us. And maybe we need to start looking inside of ourselves. That's what Jesus says in John chapter 7, or in Matthew chapter 7. And why do you worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? Why are we so worried about what our coworkers doing wrong? And maybe we can only see that because we can't see what's sticking in our own life. You see, church, we're called to follow Jesus. And Jesus' example in Philippians 2, 3 through 5 is, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You and I are called to have the same attitude that Jesus had. The same attitude that caused God, the creator of the world, to step out of heaven into a manger to walk alongside of us to die on a cross to 
to come out of the grave and conquer death. Why? Because God wanted a relationship with you and I. Because God didn't see us as difficult coworkers. He saw us as people in need of love. And are we allowing that love that we have experienced to flow out into other people? Our mission statement at Great Oaks is helping people take their next step towards Jesus. This statement forces each and every one of us to be humble because it means we have to acknowledge we have another step to take. So if you've been here since day one of Great Oaks, you've got another step of faith to take. If this is your first Sunday and you came here and you're like, I'm not even sure who this Jesus guy is. I just came because I heard there was going to be bacon. You have another step of faith to take. But if we're going to take that step, each and every one of us first has to be humble enough to say, I need to grow. I need to keep learning. I need to keep working. Church of the Gospel calls us to more than happiness so much more than happiness. And so as you think about your 90,000 hours and you think about how you're spending that time with your coworkers, it's not just about being happy. It's about living the gospel. So let me give you some questions to ask this week to remind you when that difficult coworker comes in at 6 a.m. and stands next to your bed and says, dad, it's time to get up. And you're like, no, it's not. Or when that difficult coworker walks into your cube and says, I'm going to need just a couple more days on this project because I didn't quite get it done yet. Question one Are my actions towards my coworkers loving? Genuinely, really loving? How am I treating them? Question number two. Am I creating space to learn my coworkers' stories? Have I given myself enough room to hear what's happening below the surface? Step number three, we can't do this on our own. Maybe there's somebody, maybe it's the person you complain to the most about your difficult coworker. And you need to say, hey, I need you to hold me accountable to genuinely love them. I need you to help me stop complaining and start encouraging. Would you do that for me this week? Who can you ask to walk alongside you as you love your difficult coworker? Question four, have you prayed for your difficult coworker this week? How much time have you spent praying for the people you work alongside of? And question number five, this is the advanced level. You gotta be ready to take it. Are you and I the difficult coworker? Do we need to stop and say, is the way I'm acting making life harder for my coworkers? Am I the problem? As followers of Jesus, we serve a God who exists in relationships, who allowed his son to die on the cross to be in relationship with you and I. We live in a culture where it's easy to cut people off and where community doesn't matter. But as followers of Christ, relationships are foundational to who we're called to be. And so church, Great Oaks, we need to be careful 
of memes that just tell us to cut people off. The gospel calls us to love, to pray, to draw close, and to be humble. This week, as we go about our work week, from Monday to Friday or Tuesday to Saturday or Monday to Sunday, depending on what your work week looks like, how will we engage in those four activities so that our coworkers can see the gospel? Will you pray with me? God, we are thankful for the ways that you love us when we are unlovable. For the ways that you come alongside of us. God, I ask and pray that as we go about our business at work this week, God, make us people who love. Who when our coworkers think about us, they know that they're cared for. Help us to draw close. Give us the courage it takes to ask what's going on. Cause us to fall to our knees and pray. To allow you to change our hearts, to change and transform our minds, to change the way we see our coworkers. And God, make us humble. Humble enough to see our own mistakes. God, thank you for Jesus, who loves us in all of our mistakes and who died to provide a way for us to be forgiven. And God, may your love flow out of us this week. We pray all that in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
as you deal with those difficult coworkers in whatever place you find yourself. We can't wait to see you back here next week. Have a great week. God bless.